Inside Westminster, Chapter 257, Architects of Our Own Misfortune. Another weekend, when the Prime Minister should have been resting, was spent instead crafting a minor cabinet reshuffle, following on from the week from hell at work. He also had to ring round as many Tory MPs as possible, sounding them out as to their level of loyalty. Could he trust what they said? Would they be swayed by a more persuasive speaker than he? Who would be working against him? Who, indeed, were his true friends and allies? Well, as far as loyal friends were concerned, Nadia Morris was definitely one. Potty was glad he'd made a Secretary of State for something or other he couldn't quite remember. A meme was going during the rounds of her face adoringly gazing at him during that last awful PMQs. Recently, she'd been constantly popping up on the nation's media screens, declaring devoted loyalty. Why couldn't everyone behave like her? Could it be that, as a late fifties grandmother, she posed no threat to his wife Mandy? These questions buzzed incessantly in Poddy's head and made it positively swim, as though he had consumed several bottles of his favourite red. Poddy had been warned that his least favourite tabloid, The Post, was upping their campaign to oust him, but what appeared in their Sunday edition truly shocked him. Six pages of hate-filled vomit attacking his wife. Blaming her from, for everything, from Wallpapergate to Partygate, from the chatty leaks to actually forging messages on his official work phone which had derailed policies he himself had rubber-stamped. How had these scribblers got hold of all this? Potty spluttered down the phone to one of the few remaining loyal cabinet members who was working on that Sunday morning trying to shore up the leaking dam of Potty's leadership. And who authorised that bastard, Lord Rothermere of Dulwich, Wiggy, to write that biography of Mandy? The fact that someone classed as a friend and generous party donor could have stuck the knife in so comprehensively unnerved Potty. His first thought was to phone Wiggy to see if it was all some terrible mistake. Wigbert and his brother Ethelred had often hosted Potty and whatever entourage had been hanging onto his coattails since Potty could remember. Sadly, he'd never managed to get Mandy to either of Wiggy's vast estates and he was sure that had this errant lord had the opportunity to get to know his beloved, he wouldn't have done such a cowardly and dastardly thing. Potty's second thought was not to let Mandy catch sight of all of this, so he hid all the copies of the papers. He couldn't face another savaging at her hands. He knew he had to have brain space to focus on salvaging what was left of his premiership. And he certainly wouldn't be getting any if the missus was in a foul mood. Hello, my love, he chirruped, as said missus entered the breakfast room clutching baby Hector by the hand. Celestine's still asleep? Yes, Mandy tartly replied. Tara has just called, telling me about Lord Fishface and his load of bullshit lies. She burst into tears. Something Potty had never been able to handle. Women's weeping. Yes, well, um, Potty replied, not wanting to ferment any further anguish. Little Hector was getting agitated and actually was much in need of his breakfast. He started to wail. Then high-pitched baby shrieks pierced the tear-sodden atmosphere from above. Go, stupid, Mandy said. She's yours too, and slumped down on the small sofa by the window. 
How had it come to this? How, in two short years, had her world come crashing down, where she had been cast as the evil witch, responsible for every detestable thing going? Abba parties, briefings against her senior Tory party players, lying, cheating, conniving. Her head was swimming. And then she saw the not very well hidden offending newspaper with its headline, Get Rid of Her, and shrieked. She was stammering something akin to, I can't take it anymore, or make this stop. Whatever. Potty came flying downstairs, nearly dropping baby Celestine, dr- trying to muster the right words to pacify this jigger- gibbering wreck, his sweet, innocent bride. Better news was bubbling to the surface for the other main family in this lengthy saga of the travails of modern life in this great nation. The royals, for once, had cause to celebrate. Her Madge had agreed to Annabel's advancement to Queen Consort, and not Princess Anything, when Prince Edmund finally got his mitts on her crown. Nearly twenty years of uncomplaining work and old-fashioned patience had paid off, and the prince felt relief rather than rapture. Please let me know that the last stretch of my life, when I should surely take over the rape from dear Mamma, won't be tainted by ghosts from the past he whispered to himself in the silence of the sleep-time night. One thing was certain, and that was that the prince could not possibly wreck this opportunity as comprehensively as the PM had his. Those scurrilous tongues would be set wagging once his son's memoir was out for public consumption. But for now this couple, Prince Edmund and his wife, could rest and enjoy their moment of joy. Then typically, amidst the uplifting of spirits, the prince succumbed to his second bout of Covid, his Siggy-loving beloved staying virus-free. Good old farming stock, Annabel laughed on being asked about her robustness and seeming imperviousness to illness. In a distant capital city, the UK Foreign Secretary, Susie Brackett, was not faring very well with her chain-smoking belligerent opposite number, who enjoyed reminding her that missing a call from the Russian president, why? Because of a kerfuffle over lockdown parties, was not a good start. All and things went from bad to worse, with the lack of chemistry between the pair being impossible to hide. The Russian even turned his back on her, walking off the podium during a joint briefing without so much as a backward look, let alone a handshake. Brackett's heart sank, along with her aspirations to sneak up on the PM and elegantly slip into his shoes. (laughs) ¶¶